0: Morning, everybody. Let's open up to John chapter 6, and we'll be in verses 16 through 21. John chapter 6, verses 16 through 21. If we get to 30, we'll get there. But it says, When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, And started across to the sea, uh, the sea to Capernaum and it was now dark and Jesus had not come to them and the sea became rough because of a strong wind was blowing and when they had rowed about three or four miles they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near to the boat and they were frightened but he said to them it is I do not be afraid and then they were glad to take him into the boat and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. Last time we were in the book of John together a couple of weeks ago, I want to thank the Lord for Pastor Arthur and the message he shared last week out of Galatians. Love that. And, uh, but last time we were in John together, Jesus had just performed the miracle of feeding the 5,000. And John tells us in verse 15 of chapter 6 that Jesus knew that at that point, after performing that miracle, that they wanted to take him by force and make him king. And so both Matthew and Mark's account tell us that immediately after that, after that performing that, that miracle, of the 5,000, knowing that people are wanting to make him king, he immediately uh, sent the disciples to go on ahead of him as he dismissed the crowds. And he went above uh, to the mountain to pray. And John just simply says in verses 16 and 17, when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into the boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum, and it was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. And so the disciples they get into their boat at night and they start rowing to the other side to Capernaum. And as Jesus commanded them, and a counter as they're in this boat, a very strong wind. The Sea of Galilee is like a it's like a big lake. It's like a big lake. It's about 13 miles long and around 8 miles wide, 200 feet deep at the deepest part. And so, you know, it's not like, you know, we think of a Sea of Galilee, we think of like a, a giant sea. It's, you can see to the other side of it and, uh, you know, you could get across it pretty quickly. 13 miles isn't, isn't, is, not you know, distance and, and the width is 8 miles. And so, but something interesting about the Sea of Galilee, which was quite interesting when I was there in 2000, um, or 2001, I can't remember, but they call it Lake Tiberias, by the way, because, uh, of course, if you were a ruler, you like to name things after yourself. But it sits about 700 feet below sea level. So you would think, you know, that's kind of interesting, 700 feet below sea level. And what happens is the surrounding parts of, of the Sea of Galilee, especially on the eastern side, they have the Golan Heights, Uh, which jet up about 2,000 feet high. And so uh, the surrounding parts of the lake, so there's about a 3,000 foot difference between the height of those mountains and the surface of the lake. And so what happens uh, uh, is the winds, they come off the desert and they swoop down over the top of those mountains and they just jet down and they hit that lake and they stir it up. And so it's a pretty interesting situation. It causes conditions that are dangerous for small boats. But the second part of verse 17 and 18 tells us that the disciples were making their way at night, and the sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. And that's exactly what happens all the time to this day there. If you pull the timeline from the other Gospels, we find out that because of these conditions, they had been on the water rowing for several hours with very little progress Mark six forty-eight tells us that they were rowing against the wind. And Matthew 14, uh, 24 tells us the boat was being beaten by the waves. Um, waves can get very large on the Sea of Galilee, very large being like 10 feet. Uh, some recent storms I was reading about uh, in like uh, 89 and 92 and other places like that, they had 10-foot waves kind of pounding Tiberias, which would have been that, that city in the south. They're right on the shore of Sea of Galilee. And I grew up in San Diego, and uh, Cardiff is a little town that's kind of right there on the coast. And they have Cardiff by the shore, and you can sit there in a restaurant and and be like right on the water, and the waves are kind of coming up. But well, the storms come, the surge, they know that it's just kind of like, hey, you're going to be eating real seafood real soon. Uh, the waves break so hard, they come into the restaurant, and just and so they have to shut it down for a couple weeks. It just goes right over the highway and everything. And so uh, this is on a lake, though, and the same thing happens. Ten-foot waves come smashing through, and a ten-foot wave is no joke. Um, in my younger years, I did surf in San Diego, and the largest uh, wave that I surfed was eight feet, and it gets bigger every time. Um, but it was, it was really it was eight feet, and let me just say that was a scary experience, especially when you're flat on the water and you're watching an eight-foot wave come up. It's, it's a very powerful thing. And uh, the scary thing about surfing is that when you have a very large wave, Byron knows this, uh, set that gets larger on the outside, is you have to swim as fast as you can towards that big giant wave because you have to get over it before it breaks. Otherwise, you're going to be dealing with its, its, uh, its mess. And let me tell you that even if you do surf it and you do make it, sometimes you, you, you whiff it and then all of a sudden you go into an underwater washing machine because waves are extremely powerful. Water is this very extremely powerful force, and I remember just being driven down, not by that wave, I actually surfed it, yes, praise the Lord, but being driven down into the ground, and, and you're just tumbling, 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 and then all of a sudden you're swimming for the surface, and then you hit your head on the sand, because you're totally disoriented about which way you're going, so it's pretty, it's pretty interesting stuff, but 10-foot waves on the Sea of Tiberias, there. Um, And you have to remember uh, that seven out of the ten of these guys, they were fishermen. This is no big deal for them in in general. They had had experienced things like this all the time. Apparently, it was a windstorm. It wasn't a rainstorm. And so the winds were blowing. Um, You could probably still see, as the other gospels say, Jesus was able to see them. But so in order not to capsize the boat, they have to turn into the wind Uh, You know, you have a big flat thing on the surface and it's blowing. It has more surface area to blow you away and you get blown over. And same with the waves. The waves are going that direction. So they they have to turn their boat into the waves and the waves are crashing over and the boat is taking a beating. And so this is hours and hours of struggling at the oars. They didn't have an onboard motor. They weren't not like, you know, water skiing out there. They were rowing. Hours of it. And verse 19 says that when they had rowed about three or four miles, so they're in the middle of the Sea of Galilee, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat. And they were frightened. No kidding. Mark tells us that Jesus was actually going to pass them by. That's, that's how much progress they were making how many of you uh, have are familiar with be, like being in a boat in kind of currents and things like that and and you can feel like you're moving but you're really not you can be exerting a lot of effort and yet you are actually not moving forward you're moving backwards it's very interesting when you're surfing you're sitting out there in the water and you think you're still you're not you're being pulled in a direction either out or in or in a different way and you can be sit there and all of a sudden you you, know, you look at the coast because you have markers about where you are so you know where you are and then you look up a few minutes later and you are well down you know there's a heavy current going on and you spin you know so you swim sideways to get back to your spot and it's just like you're looking at the at the coast, and you're going, I'm not going anywhere. So you have to surf, you have to go in, and you have to swim back out, up shore. So anyways, uh, pretty interesting there about, uh, they're just rowing and basically standing still, and Jesus comes and walks out and almost passes them. I find that very funny, but I understand it. And they were frightened, they thought he was a ghost, but what happens in verse 20 of John 6 is, Jesus says to them, As they are frightened, they're in this condition, they're not used to seeing someone walk in the water. And he said to them, in his eye, do not be afraid. And John simply ends the story in verse 21 saying, then they were glad to take him into the boat and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. Very strange, very strange. A lot there as you can see. John doesn't tell us about Jesus uh, seeing them struggling as he's looking at them from the shore. That's in another account. Jesus doesn't tell us about Peter walking on the water to Jesus. That's in another account. He doesn't tell us, as Matthew and Mark do, that when Jesus got into the boat, the winds and the waves ceased. That, that's not in this account. John simply says that they saw Jesus were Glad to take them into the boat and they were immediately at where they needed to be. And that's John's point. And we know from the other accounts that the disciples' response to Jesus getting in the boat was that they worshiped and they said, This is certainly the Son of God. They were declaring that he was the Son of God. Now, as I look at these two miracles, first of all, I find it interesting that you're, you see the miracle of, of the breaking of bread. And then after the miracle of the breaking of bread, you've got this really quick few verses about him on the sea. And then it goes back to talking about bread the whole time. That's all it's talking about, the bread. And it progresses from there. So I want you to know that I'm going to come back and pick up on that next week because... It's heavier stuff, and it takes a, a little bit while to get into it, and so I, I just wanted to focus on this more of a practical application um, type of session here. But as I look at these two miracles, the feeding of the 5,000 and now Jesus walking in the water, I see a, a few implications from all of this. There's a bigger picture that Christ is, is, is painting, and, and we're going to come back to that, but there's a few implications. We know that the reason why John is recording all these things, and that's important. When you don't understand what a book is about, it's a, just go to the end. You know, kind of just read the last few chapters and you kind of figure it out. But John says in, in John 20, 31, he says, But these signs are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. He's recording the miracles He's recording the interactions. He's recording all these things so as an eyewitness, by the way, so that you will know without a doubt that Jesus is who he claimed to be. He's the son of God. He, John, was an eyewitness, along with the other apostles and all those who were there, of Jesus miraculously feeding 5,000 people out of five crackers and two fish and walking on the water, and all of these miracles that keep on going. And so there's no way that anyone could feed 5,000 people with five crackers and two fish unless they were supernatural. There is no way anybody is walking on any water of any kind unless they were supernatural. That's the point there. So John is just taking snippets of what he witnessed and sharing it with us, even at the end in chapter 21. He says, listen, I suppose there wouldn't be enough books in all the libraries of the world to write about all this stuff. He's leaving out a lot of details, a lot of information. The other guys pick up on some of it. it. But he's just grabbing snippets to paint a picture for us so that we would know that he's the Christ. These miraculous things that Jesus did so that we would know that he is God in the flesh. And by not only knowing that he is God in the flesh, that we can trust him with our salvation. We can trust him with eternal life. We can trust him with forgiveness. We can trust him with all those things he claims. I don't know about you, but how many of you have um, some serious issues going on in your life? And you basically are not able to handle them. You need someone a little bigger than you. A little stronger, a little bit more powerful. Me too. But in addition to knowing that Jesus is the son of God, we see through the disciples' total inability to accomplish anything without him. That's what we see. We see the disciples' total inability to accomplish anything without him. If you look at these two miracles, disciples zero, Jesus two. Right? Right? Do you see that? I think it's really interesting to look at it. Without him, they can't do anything, but with him and through him, what? Oh, man, everything he calls them to, everywhere he sends them, everything that he has for them will be accomplished. And we need to know that this morning. Just look at the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus said to the disciples back in verse five, hey, where are you guys gonna buy bread for 5,000 people out in the wilderness? And the disciples quickly realized what? That they didn't have the money and they didn't have the resources. There wasn't a plate. They didn't have enough money. They didn't have enough wages. One of them said, hey, we could have 200 days worth of wages and it would not be enough to buy food for these people. We don't have enough money. What else? What else? Don't, we don't have enough resources. All we have is this little kid's lunch. It's not going to work. They found out real quick that Jesus was showing them that they were not the solution, that he was, that he would be the one that would feed the 5,000. And by asking him questions, they came to the realization of the same thing. Jesus broke the bread, and we learn from another gospel that Jesus then passed that broken bread to the disciples. That is a larger picture. We're coming back to that. And that is something very important for us to realize this morning, that the Lord would teach us to trust him to provide what is needed when he calls us to serve him. Quite often, when we are compelled by the Holy Spirit In some good work, we look at our circumstances, we look at the lack, we look at the problems, we look at all these things, and we just write it off instead of looking to whom? Instead of looking to Jesus. And the disciples needed to know this early on. The things that God was calling them to, they had an inability, they were not able to accomplish it. They weren't going to be able to do it. They weren't going to be able to save people. They weren't going to be able to heal people. They weren't going to be able to do any of these things apart from his total provision for them. What are you facing today? Where are you at? What has God called you to? And when he's called you to it, you look at it and go, "Ah, I don't have, and you fill in the blank, and therefore you walk away from the circumstance. Anybody else? All the time as a pastor, it's embarrassing Jesus was showing the disciples that they just need to trust and obey. Amen? Church, the the Lord has called us into a life of service and ministry that are going to require us to just trust him. To just trust him. Do you trust Jesus this morning? With that gap, with that impossibility, with that ministry he's called you to. Some of us are in relationships, lifelong relationships, and the Lord has called us to minister in these ways, and there's just a gap. Hmm. He's called us to walk in the good works that were prepared for us for the, founda- for the foundations of the earth, and those works are works of faith, right? They're works of faith like Abraham, Hey, 100 year old guy, you're going to have a child of promise with your 90 year old wife. Uh, no, I'm not. Have a nice day, Lord. No, but what does it say? He trusted the Lord, and it was accredited to him as what? Righteousness. He believed faith. We trust in his provision, not our abilities. And that's just a beautiful lesson here. The works of faith, meaning that they are accomplished not by looking at our abilities and what we have in our, at our disposal and our ability to accomplish these things, but rather who he is and what he has. Doesn't that just take the weight off? I'm excited about that, church, are you? I'm excited to just trust in Jesus again. That's great, trust and obey. And to reiterate this point, we have the miracle of Jesus walking on the water. We just read that Jesus sent them across the lake to Capernaum. Jesus sent them into that lake, across that lake, right? And, and in doing so, Jesus sent them into the dark. He sent them into the waters. He sent them into the wind. He sent them into the waves, into the struggle, into the hours of seemingly going nowhere. Isn't that a snapshot of what it is sometimes like as we follow the Lord in this life? How many of you are tired of rowing? <laughs> You're just like, ah, forget it, let's just float. You know? We, we know he has called us and sent us, but it can be difficult at times as his disciples, Is you know, as we step onto those waters. Now, we do know, as I mentioned before, that seven of those 12 guys were on the lake for most of their lives, right? Getting in that boat and rowing to the other side was no big deal. They had seen windstorms before. They had probably been in them, I guess is, right? But on that night, with all their work, with all their teamwork, with all their experience, with everything they had, they're going nowhere until Jesus is in the boat. And that's very important. As I just mentioned, that going where Jesus tells us to go, church, in obedience and trust, doesn't mean it's going to be easy. Actually, it's not going to be easy. And how many of you can say amen to that? Amen. It's difficult, boy. I tell you what. You know, there's, it's so tempting to just tell you what you want to hear. Just trust Jesus, and man, you're going to ride that wave. You're never going to crash. No, you're going to you're going to crash a lot. You're going to be more underwater than over. It feels like in this life. This is not our hope. It's a walk of faith, church. It's a walk of faith. This is the walk of faith today. Trusting the Lord in the dark, in the rough seas, with the waves pounding you one after the other when you're in the middle of the lake, tired of rowing and going nowhere. Anybody else? But I find comfort from Mark's account in chapter 6, verse 47 and 48, where it says, And later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake and he was alone on land. Verse 48, and he saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Did you catch that? Jesus was watching. Jesus was keenly aware of what his disciples were going through. And they were keenly unaware that he was aware. I don't know if that makes sense, but they they were clueless. They were focused on the wind and the waves and everything else that was pounding them, but they were not focused. They did not, I mean, they kind of knew, probably. Surely didn't feel like it at the moment, did it? What was Jesus doing? He was watching them and he was just praying Probably for them on that mountain. And he is watching them intently, knowing what he's going to do, knowing what they're going through, knowing what he's teaching them through the circumstances. All those things he knows. As the shepherd of their souls, Jesus was keenly aware of what was going on in his disciples' lives. And I love the rest of verse 48 of Mark 6, which says, Shortly before dawn. I love that. Shortly before dawn, he went out to them walking on the lake. That's kind of how Jesus comes at the last minute, doesn't it seem like? (laughs) Every time, totally. (laughs) Just before dawn, he went out to them walking on the lake in the midst of their struggle to do what he called them to do, church. Jesus came to them walking on the water, defying all the things that were hindering them. She just came walking right over, right through, right in them, right up to them. And John simply says that when they saw him in the midst of the waves and waves and all the string at the doors, when they saw him, they gladly welcomed him into the boat. You know, the things that are overwhelming for you are not overwhelming for Jesus. Do you know that? The things that strain you, the things that perplex you, the things that overwhelm you, the things that beat on you day after day after day, all these types of things, they they don't affect the Lord in the same way, not in that he's not compassionate, but He just walks right through the midst of it and walks up to him. I love that. There's nothing more comforting when the Lord manifests his presence in the midst of difficulties of this life. There's nothing like it. When you are going through difficult times and, man, you are out of it and, and he just comes walking through the in other words, he just speaks through the storm, and you know he's there through his word or however he decides to do what he's going to do. It's amazing. There's nothing like it. The world doesn't have this church. You have it as the children of God, if you are his. He's watching. He knows. And he has the ability, when he sees fit, to come into the circumstance and remind us of his lordship, that he's in control. And I feel like it's a breath of water as I'm tumbling under the water and I'm kind of, it's like a controlled tumble, basically. I kind of come up for air as the Lord just kind of says, hey, we're still going. And then you just keep tumbling <laughs> I wish I had it all organized and all figured out and felt like, you know, I've got all these things and we've just got three points in life and it's like, no, you know what? By the grace of God go us. He is our bread, our daily bread. He is the manna. And if he doesn't show up, we're sunk. If we don't get our sustenance from him, life is not worth living. If you know him, you know what I mean? He's it, He's everything. The world doesn't have this. But the Lord wants to give it to them. I love that. He wants to give it to them through you. And we gladly welcome him into our boat. And John says that when they did, they were immediately at their destination. They were instantly transported to where they needed to be. Now, that's not always that's not like, I know I'm doing kind of parallels and kind of looking at things in application. He was trans, they were transported, they were there. We're not the disciples, we're not the Sea of Galilee. Jesus isn't walking on the water in Walla Walla. Okay, let's just, let's just make sure we clarify all that. But let's, let's do say this, that when the Lord is in the boat, he gives us clarity about where we're going. He reminds us, of where we're going, and I, I, I need that in my life again. You know, there have been times that when I've wanted to leave y'all, anybody ever wanted to leave me? I know it, not because of you, but just because of you know, life is hard, it's difficult, and you go, oh, well, you know, green pastures are green, aren't you know, somewhere else or whatever it might be, you know. And I'm not saying that now, but and the Lord's had to come to me in the midst of just the struggle and the turmoil, whatever it says, hey. I'm with you, stay put. Do good, dwell in the land, feed on my faithfulness. Keep plowing the field. Sorry, Lord. All right, and it's like, boom, focused on that destination again, and he reminds me, and you just keep going, and he just, he's so good, he's watching. He knows when he needs to encourage us. He knows, uh, it's not saying he's, out here, he's always with us every day, but there's those times when he just breaks through and it's very sweet. It's, it's, we need those. But they were instantly transported to where they need to be and it seems that this is John's point as opposed to what all the other apostles kind of wrote about. Jesus was showing them that what he called them to accomplish, he would complete. And I think that's it told them they're going to the other side, but it was difficult, but when Jesus, Jesus would ultimately accomplish that, and I think that's, that's important for us to know, he would be faithful to get them to their destination, if you think about these two miracles real quickly, this is what it's all about, the disciples could do nothing apart from Christ, right, right, They couldn't do anything. There wasn't enough money, there wasn't enough food and the forces against them were too powerful. But with Jesus, the son of God, he would provide and he would guide them as they simply trusted him looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of their faith. And the same is for us this morning, the same. And this is gonna be a short message. So, How has the Lord called you to serve him? Where is the Lord calling you to go for him? How has the Lord called you to serve him? Where has He called you to go for him? And that might be as simple as your living room. Are you looking at your lack? Are you looking at the wind? This reminds me of the hymn that Helen Mill wrote back in the 20s. O soul, are you weary and troubled? No light in the darkness you see. There's light for a look at the Savior and life more abundant and free. Through death into life everlasting, he passed and we follow him there. Or us sins, no more hath dominion For more than conquerors we are. His word shall not fail you. He promised. Believe him and all will be well. Then go to a world that is dying. His perfect salvation to tell. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Amen? Lord God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for these simple truths. Lord, I know we've heard trust and obey before. But Lord, help us in our faith. Help us to trust you. Lord, where we have said no to you because we immediately looked at the circumstances and whatever it might be, Forgive us, Lord. Forgive us for our lack of faith. For not trusting you to be able to accomplish what you've called us to do. And Lord, we, we just come to you humbly and say, Lord, here am I. Cleanse us and send us, Lord. We're your humble servants. Thank you for purchasing us with your blood. And now, Lord, wherever you would go, We want to go. Whatever person you want us to reach, we we want to reach them, Lord. And, And we just pray that in the midst, Lord, that you would provide the bread, you would provide the way, and that we would just see you in the midst of it and trust you and that your Father would be glorified. So it is in the name of Jesus Christ we pray these things, amen.